My name is Johnny Ball, and I'm the founder of Campaign Force, a not-for-profit that inspires, trains, and coaches the armed forces community to stand up and serve again. I've served on the front line of military operations and in civilian life, the front line of UK politics. This Veterans in Politics podcast is a set of interviews brought to you by Campaign Force and sets out to explore how the military community can help make our politics a better place. I lean into my little black book of contacts and sit down with individuals from across the world of politics, sharing secrets, giving tips and advice and inspiring the next generation. We are Campaign Force. This is the Veterans in Politics podcast. Let's introduce you to our guest. This podcast series was recorded over Zoom during the lockdown period. This was part of an exclusive event laid on for veterans and serving personnel. We'd like to thank our guests for allowing us to release part of this conversation for you in podcast format. In this episode, we meet Sarah Atherton MP, the only woman regular army veteran in politics in the House of Commons, having begun her career in the Intelligence Corps. Service is in Sarah's DNA and we find out about her military family, life as an army wife as well as that of a soldier, her career after the army in the NHS, ending up finally with her becoming a brewer. Sarah is authentic, honest and unapologetically herself. This is an episode set to inspire many into politics, not just women, and offers a great insight into exactly what it is like being a brand new MP. It's time for you to listen to the conversation. So Sarah, um, I'm going to shut up. You just want to say hello and perhaps let people know what we've been up to today? Oh, well, hello, Johnny. And uh, really good to see you all. And I hope you appreciate I've changed my study around or my little study space to incorporate a bit of military stuff for you. So uh, I'm really pleased to see you. So, well, my day has been, um, as you can imagine, a little bit chaotic. I know what I'm not going to say, but you can guess how my day has gone. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've had a team meeting this morning, which lasted an hour and a half. I've had a two-hour WHIPS meeting with my caucus, which are the new intake of MPs. We're called the 109. We spent two hours over lunch doing that. We put out a press release, long awaited in my area, and I'm being bombarded as we speak with requests for media uh, reports. So, yeah, can't wait for today to be over when I'll be having my uh, end of day beer. So <laughs> it's been a busy day. So a bit, bit of a, uh, I guess, uh, an, a very interesting introduction to politics. And you mentioned beer as well there. So is it right that you were uh, used to run a brewery? I did, I did. I, um, I'm a big Real Ale fan, massive Real Ale fan. In fact, as this was sold as a fireside meeting, I was going to have a Real Ale with me, but I think the sun's shining and I feel a bit, bit dreadful if I start drinking in front of you. But I am a Real Ale fan. I started off by brewing in my shed until I was inundated with rats, so I had to stop that. So um, I was part of camera, and uh, three of us back in 2009 set up a, a small sort of hobby microbrewery which actually did really well. I went to Sunderland University, did a short course in brewing. Uh, two women and a man, which is quite unusual. We, female brewers are called Brewsters. Uh, and we set up commercially. And uh, it was really good, actually. It was, it was a really good team. Uh, we won Champion Bitter of Wales. Uh, <laughs> and, then we, and then we sold sold the brewery on from that point. So, um, yeah, hard graft is brewing. Hard, cold graft. Well, no word of a lie. I actually received my renewal pack from camera today. I hope you renewed. 
get my card yeah i'm direct debit so yeah it's arrived through the post today which is really weird and spooky and of course the military have a long tradition with the brewing because um i actually went out on the town in cardiff with um, lieutenant colonel brain from brains brewery who was commanding officer of three uh royal welsh where my friend was the adjutant um and uh, he explained to me as we were in the his old grandfather's office which i now believe is a pub which was the original brewery in cardiff um that he um the family have a long tradition in sending the the sons and off to the military uh to have a period of military service before returning back to the family business so there you go nice little segue but anyway um Obviously, before that, though, you have had some military service, as mentioned in the intelligence corps. Um, but why did you end up into politics? What really drove you into politics in the first place? Oh, God. Right, we're going to go back 35 years now. Um, I think I got into the military originally because I came from Chester, which was a, which was a, a garrison town. And my first birth boyfriend was a soldier, as you might expect. A few of us can resonate with that. Uh, <laughs> and I was a bit of loss. I was about 16, 17, and uh, I signed up and went into the military. Did four years, uh, then got married, got married pretty young, and uh, to an infantryman. And uh, we weren't going to be posted together. So after a while, I decided that I was the one that was going to leave. So I left and became an infantry wife in Whittington Barracks at Litchfield and where he was training and uh, had a child then and he went off to Bosnia under the Cheshire Regiment, uh, came back a very different man. Mm-hmm. Um, we now know what it is, but in those days it didn't have a title. And of course, uh, I suspect it's the same today. You know, if you ask for help, you're weak. So he wouldn't ask for help and, and subsequently our marriage fell apart, uh, leaving me with a child. Um, child was premature. I, I was struggling because if you think about it, I've been in the army. Everything was about the army, my friends, my culture, my background, my finance. And suddenly I was here with a sick child. I could strip an SMG blindfolded and reconstruct it, but I didn't know one end of a child to another. And at that point, I relied very heavily on military wives that knew what to do. They knew everything. And I was really guided by them. Um, so I have a strong affinity with uh, spouses, military spouses. And this is something that we might touch on later on that I'd like to see the covenant um, expand further into uh, supporting families of veterans and, and service personnel, not just cutting off at that point. Um, but then I had to decide what to do in life. Uh, you know, I had a young child, nowhere to live, of course, by now we're at the Dale Camp in Chester, nowhere to live, no income, no money. And unless I work for GCHQ Cheltenham, I had no job either, but I had a sick child. So I decided I had to retrain. So I went nursing uh, and then I was a nurse for a long while. Then I became a district nurse. And then I realised for about 15 years, then I realised that health and social care is inextricably linked. So if you're going in to help someone with chronic breathing conditions and they've got water trickling down the walls, you're never going to solve it. So I was lucky enough at that point to um, get a sponsorship to go to university to become a social worker. And I did that for a long while and specialised in mental health and then older people with dementia. So for so almost 27 years, I've been working in the public sector, supporting people, to helping people to help themselves initially. And when they can't do that, whether they're incapacitated or whatever, um, then I would step in for them. And then in amongst all that, 
Um, I, I dabbled in my brewery, which I did for about four years and thoroughly enjoyed. So, uh, so that's my career in, in a nutshell. And I got to about 50, 50. I thought, Do you know what? I've, I've probably had enough. I need a change. Um, and someone knocked on my door and it was local elections. And you know, and you think I've never been politically orientated. And I just thought, do you know what? I'm not interested. I'm not, as we all do, we see someone come to the door, we just walk away or pretend you're on the phone or whatever. But I've got a glass arch and um, I opened the kitchen door and there was his smiley face. And I thought, oh, bloody hell, I'm committed. I've got to go and open the door now. And uh, it wasn't his politics that sold me. It was him that sold me. He sold um, him to me to work for my area where I live. And it was him that, that got me into the party I'm in now, the Conservatives. Uh, and I really liked him. And he must have thought, oh, I've got a hook here. I'm going to come back. So he knocked about three times during the local elections. And I started to listen to what he had to say. And I thought, you know what? He's a nice guy. Um, you know, he'll do good for my community because he was standing for a local election. Um, and I didn't really care what party he was in. That, di- that didn't resonate with me at all. So I voted for him. And then when he was a local councillor, he then came back on the door and said, have you ever thought about going into politics? Um, and, and that's when I seriously listened to him. Uh, and that's how I got into politics. Um, so, so, yeah, so I can keep going and keep waffling if you want. Or do you want to? No, I, I think really, Sarah, you've, you've highlighted um, fundamentally, and it's a common trait within many of the conversations we've had already, particularly those from the those that have worked in public facing public service orientated careers is that often it's taken someone asking them to stand up Mm. and serve again, as, as we term it, uh, that it's not people that have necessarily, you know, from an early age said they want to be an MP and they've, you know, crafted this career that you know the special advisor route they've become a counselor mm. worked in you know for their local party then they so that route i guess what you're really demonstrating to us and to it's really inspiring fact is that just being yourself and being true to your your service and your um career and who you are and but also the tragedy sometimes is that you know we could being asked in the first place is often just a turn a stroke of luck and for me it strikes me is that as a bit of a stroke of luck that someone knocked on your door and if someone hadn't knocked on your door then what would have happened so what we're trying to do a campaign force is to basically rather than knocking on the door we want to open the doors um, yeah. kind of in an organized fashion so was what's your experience being like a westminster so far having had someone knock on your door and engaged with politics what's it been like is it much uh, well, what I should have said to you is you're not going to get a polished political performance from me. I'm not an orator. I was a lance corporal in the army. Um, I'm focused on people. Um, you know, I have the skills that we all have. who has been through the military. We always polish our shoes. We're always five minutes early. We always try and prepare. Um, but, but I'm not a massive orator. I, I sometimes struggle to get my point over, but I've got the passion behind it to get it over. So I will get it over. And, you know, uh, and some of that has been an obstacle for me. So going into Westminster, I wasn't an advisor. I wasn't in the civil service. I was, you know, a Lance Corporal. And um, there I was almost going back in the army at Hogwarts. And your whips are like your RSMs. They see and know everything before you do there's there's the media skulking in corners 
you've got to be very careful. You've got this camaraderie of the 109 I mentioned before, which is the new intake, quite a new group of conservative politicians. Uh, so it is very much like going into the army. I was really, um, really pleased when I, when I arrived and someone said, there's your Kotuk, and you're now no longer Sarah Atherton, you're called Wrexham. And there's your coat up with Wrexham. And there's the little bit of ribbon that you hang your broad basket hilted broadsword on. And I thought, oh, well, that'll be useful. You know, so the traditions, I love the traditions. I love history anyway, yeah. uh, architecture, all that. You know, I really bounce off all that. Um, but it, it, it's not been easy. The first thing I wanted to do was find the shooting gallery. And it took me three weeks before someone said, oh, we don't have it anymore. It was a wine cellar, but it's now gone. Um, there's a hairdresser somewhere. I don't know where, but I probably would be more keen on the shooting gallery than the hairdressers. Uh, it's not been easy because I don't know the etiquette of politics. I don't know the protocols. I've made lots of clangers. I got stuck in them. Um, we were voting and you go from the chamber to the division to vote. But it's all time and they lock the doors and you've got so many minutes to do it. Well, I got stuck in the toilets on the Brexit vote and wasn't allowed out. I came out and I was told by the whips, what are you doing here? I said, well, I voted. Don't, don't worry, I voted. But, I, you know, a woman of a certain age, we've had three votes. I've been here. It's now 10 o'clock. I needed a wee. Um, <laughs> so I went to the loo and he said, yeah, but you can't be here now because you can't go through and vote again because you voted. And you can't go out because the master of arms has locked the doors. And I'm just thinking, well, what am I supposed to do? So I was bundled back into the toilets and told not to come out for 15 minutes. You know, yeah. so there's all these sort of things that you have no idea what is going on? I have to say on the first week there, we were doing about 14, 15 hours a day. There were massively long days. Mm. And you are like a, you know, a rabbit in the headlights. And I remember walking past Liz Truss and she was on the front bench and I had no idea. And I said hello to Madam Deputy Speaker and then just walked past the front bench, past Black Rod and, and, and excuse me, Liz, excuse me, Liz, handbags, whatever. And I'm wondering why the whole chamber's looking at me. And of course, you know, I didn't realise I wasn't supposed to do it. So I sort of turned it into a bit of a joke and I think I got away with it, although I had to write apologetic letters to virtually everyone in the chamber that day. <laughs> so, um, so it's been um, exciting. I've met amazing people that you only see on television. I've doubted myself. I've cried in corners. Uh, we had no offices to begin with. It was a long time before we got an office. Uh, and I used to take solace in the library because I really felt I was out of my depths at sometimes. And the library is a beautiful place where only members can go. And it's very secure, very warm, very friendly, because behind the theatre of the chamber, everyone actually gets, gets on reasonably well. Yeah. You know, um, and, and that's something that I wish the population could see. Yeah. Uh, and the, and the, the chamber is just like going to the Globe Theatre. It's just drama. And all the work's done in the background. So I used to like going into the library because it was friendly. Um, and then eventually I got an office, not until about February. And it was in Norman Shore North, which is the furthest away from the chamber. So when a division bell goes, you literally have to run. They hold people back and you have to run. Um, <laughs> and it's funny because when the whips were allocating offices, suddenly everyone couldn't walk, they had gout, they had verrucas, they had athlete's foot, you name it, they did everything to get an office near the chamber. But I actually quite like it being further away. So um, it's been a roller coaster. Of course, it's not been the easiest six months with Brexit, the pandemic, um, 
I've been made PPS for the Wales office. And I didn't even know what that was. But I was just told if you get offered anything, you don't refuse it. So I'm still trying to find my feet with that. I'm no good with technology, as, <laughs> as we found out before, Johnny, trying to, trying to do a Teams meeting. I'm no good with technology. I've had to um, take on five members of staff. I've got two offices I run. I've got contracts to do. This has all been reasonably new to me, all within six months. And over the last few days, for example, I've had over 800 emails that all need mm-hmm. replying to. So um, it's been interesting and tiring, and I've lost a stone in weight. And I walk about 10 to 15 miles a day around Westminster. But I wouldn't change it for the world because, <laughs> I, because I know I'm there because um, people relate to me, because I'm normal, yeah. because people can resonate with me, they can speak to me, I've got no airs and graces. You know, I, I stand up and I say, how, I say what I see, and people really like that. They, I don't think they like the polished, finished look anymore. No. Yeah, we certainly went into depth around that subject when, um, when we had Alicia Kearns, and we're talking about authenticity, and it was, she was unapologetic, and certainly get that from you in, in what you've just said. And it's refreshing for us because for many of the people that we try to inspire, have never engaged with the political process or voted in the first place, let alone considered consider going for public office. So for us, it's really inspirational to hear that, really um, refreshing too. But with, I mean, what you've just described there sounds like an absolute nightmare. Um, but your career has been quite varied. What are those skills, experience, values that you've really had to dip into to get you through the, some quite difficult times and obviously difficult at the moment with what's happening in the country? Are there any key skills that you've really kind of pulled out of the bag from whether it's the military or your NHS service or business? Uh, I think I, I always draw on people. Um, people, I like to listen to people. I like the fact that people can make their own decisions and make foolish decisions, but that's their decision. So I think, you know, if you always think that people um, have a right to to take a course of action, um, I think that's a really good skill. That doesn't come from a military background. Probably that comes from a social work background. You know, people can make unwise decisions, but their decision is just as valid as anyone else's. And that leads on to the fact you can disagree without being disagreeable. Um, and I think that's actually quite hard uh, to hold on to. Well, I, I'm certainly trying because you do get a lot of bad press as a politician. I don't touch my social media. My social media is toxic. And if I ever looked at it, um, I would just I would probably resign. And, I, and it's about actually as well recognizing what you can deal with and what you can't. And I'm pretty resilient. I'm pretty thick skinned. I'm a bit older. I've been around a bit. Um, so I probably take a lot more than perhaps younger people do. There's definitely the male-female split. Uh, there's lots of issues there um, which I've come up against. But I think I just go go at it and just think, well, my voice is just as good as anyone else's. Or because, you know, I don't quite understand some of the terminology or the etiquette that's used in politics doesn't make my voice and therefore the people of Wrexham's voice any less. And I think when you get to this point... You overcome your own fears because I know I'm speaking for 50,000 other people and therefore I will stand up and I will challenge um, because it's not about me, it's about the 50,000 people. And that perhaps comes from the army, that I'm now a leader, scarily enough, 
as a Lance Corporal, allow a leader of 50,000 people, and I'll make sure that their voice is heard. Um, and I think that spurs me on. So resilience, adaptability, uh, recognizing, um, recognizing your weaknesses, actually. Not perhaps saying I'm going to do anything about them because I'm too old, you know. I'm too old to, uh, an old dog doesn't change its tricks. Um, I will just avoid them. So if I know I'm pretty bad at speaking on the hoof without preparing, then I won't put myself in that situation mm. or I'll try not to. So it's about mitigating around your weaknesses and playing to your strengths. In order to get there in the first place, it seems to me is that you've maintained that authenticity, which is great. Please do keep it up as a bit of a plea. Um, but to get through all those hoops, to get selected, to go through the parliamentary assessment board and get selected for Wrexham, et cetera, um, you've got quite a varied background. How did you kind of reconcile the public service, the, you know, the entrepreneurship in, in, and maintain your authenticity? How did you get that across? Wrexham's never been conservative. And in fact, uh, we've never had a conservative MP female for Wales at all. And the first one by virtue uh, of the count. Um, and and it's, it's not been easy because I have come against an institutional barrier. Um, and I think it's because I am so focused on people and I've done that public service that actually somewhere like Wrexham, which is an old mining town, they recognise the value in me because, you know, I've scrubbed bedpans, I've helped people to the toilet, I've helped people in crisis, I've, I've not come in through Eton, I've not been to, or I've been to Manchester and Liverpool universities, you know, I've not come through the usual process that they see their politicians, I'm not a barrister, for example, a lot of politicians come through the legal profession uh, and I think that resonated with the public and it resonated uh, with my um, association so the first thing I did was when I spoke to this chap who knocked on my door and I thought he was nice and friendly and he got me into politics I said I'd like to become a community councillor you know I want to sort out the green blue algae in the lake I want to put up a few bike racks that's all I want to do some nice local stuff and I want to get involved locally and I said, yeah, you know, great, we'll sign you up to that. So, um, so I thought, well, okay, it's, it's common sense, really. But I'm surprised common sense isn't common sense to everyone, is it? There's this big issue at the moment about common sense. What's common sense to me might not be to you. So, but it seemed common sense to me that if people don't really know me, because although I've lived in this area, I've always worked full time. And then when you come home, you do your own thing. You know, I wasn't really involved in the area. People don't know me. I need to sell myself. So it's common sense to me to make a little leaflet up and put it through people's doors. Well, they've never done, I, don't, I didn't get it, but they've never done that in this area. So I actually romped home on an election for a community councillor. Uh, and that was my first foot in the door, really, into committees, because I'd never been involved with committees and voices on committees that just want to be heard but never have any outcomes, because that frustrates me, because I'm a very outcome-focused person rather than process and there are people there that just like to hear the sound of their own voice and nothing's ever achieved so I went in there like a bull in a china shop and actually um it worked really well some people didn't like me so I thought okay I could either lock horns with them or I could kill them with kindness and killing them with kindness definitely works <laughs> definitely works definitely works keep taking the cakes in keep being nice to them you know and, and eventually they came around and we achieved in that few years I was a community councillor 
we achieved a lot in the area. And then we got the publicity. So it went further than the area. It went into the constituency. Um, and actually, I found that really rewarding. And, and I look back and think, oh, God, what the hell have I done? It was really nice before. Um, but because I'd proved myself to the local area and I'd proved myself to the association because I put myself out for them, because you've got to work at this. If you want to get anything, you've got to put the effort in. It just doesn't come to you. Um, and I proved myself to the association because I'd been fundraiser. So they always give a woman the fundraiser job because they have to be in the kitchen serving tea and cake. But yeah, by doing that... Sharon yeah. said the same, actually. Sharon Hodgson said the same experience. First job, they gave her the, I think, oh, yeah, yeah. the cooking and the fundraising. Yeah. Exactly the same. Yeah. So I thought, okay, you know, I don't mind. It's a foot in the door. But actually, you know, particularly with the Conservative associations, that they're a little bit older. It's a good way to get to know people. Oh, you know, you like your tea a certain way, don't you, Mrs. Jones or whatever? Well, they're the ones that are voting for you later down the line. So there's method in the madness, really. So it's about taking every opportunity that you can and not thinking, oh, I'm not doing that because I don't want to. Or why should I? Or I'm a woman. Why should I have to cook? You know, thinking, well, what can I get out of that? So um, I was sort of recognised then within the party as being something slightly different. And then an assembly, I'm in Wales, so there's an assembly election came up and it was a no hope, it was a forlorn hope. And they always let people cut their teeth on a forlorn hope. And it was Alan and Dee's side and it was a by-election. I remember, and, yeah. Yeah, and I thought, you know what, I'll give it a go. Um, and I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it. But my God, what I didn't realise was because by-elections are so high profile, because nothing else is going on, all of the UK media came in. Um, and that really gave me a baptism of fire grounding, which I think if I'd known beforehand, I probably would have shied away from, but I didn't know. So, you know, this is something else that we'll all do. If, if we, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound, if you start something, you're going to see it through, whether you hate it or not, and you're going to do it to your best of your ability. And I think that's probably something I've learned from my military background. Um, and then I was selected, well, I was asked to stand for selection for Wrexham and by now the political landscape had changed a bit and it was becoming a little bit of a hot seat because beforehand it's never been conservative in any way any time um mm. no one wanted to do it you'd be lucky to get two people uh now it's a hot seat but I'd served the teas and, the, and the, the coffees and I'd taxied people around and you know done all that sort of thing so I knew pretty well it was probably in the bag um and that was one way of my selection I treated it like an election but it wasn't something I did two weeks before no. I'd been doing it for a long time before but that wasn't difficult for me because I actually quite enjoy being with people so yeah. I, quite, I was liking what I was doing as well so yeah, that's the way I got se- got selected wow what a story putting the graft in being authentic being a people person these are you know sage advice for people looking to get involved in any level of politics but you've already mentioned you you know the first woman, uh, for example. Um, so why, and we've joked a little bit about some of, you know, the, the, the women jobs that are given in politics initially, and we need to really do better at that. Um, but clearly, you know, you persevered, grafted, got through. But why do we have so few women in politics? You're still in Parliament, um, underrepresented. Um, in local government, I think just one third of all council le- leaders are women. So, what's the issue? What can we do to improve that situation? Do we need to? Uh, yeah, yeah, we do. We do. There's more women and men in Wales. I think that goes for the UK as well. 
and we're vastly underrepresented, not just in politics, but in all levels of public office, from community councils, local councils, police and crime commissioners, governors of schools, etc. We are underrepresented, um, and we, that needs to change. And I, we're quite a, a, a traditional country as Wales, I, I would, I would he- hesitate to say, uh, and it's always been quite difficult for women to break into that. Um, and I, I suppose I'd liken it to, I've just written a report to go to House Magazine, because one of the things I want to look at on the Defence Select Committee is the role of female service leavers and female personnel and women in the um, defence industry. Um, and I've been looking at some statistics around complaints made against abuse and harassment, why women leave the army, a lot around families, wraparound care, family-friendly policies. And that's not too dissimilar from politics. Because as I said before, you know, I can work, particularly Tuesdays and Wednesdays, I can work 15-hour days. Now, uh, there are quite a few mums, like Alicia, uh, she's got young kids. Uh, A lot of women wouldn't do that. They'd say, no, you know, I've got young kids at home. I want to be with them. It's quite a compromise if you want a family life, being a politician. Um, and I know it's changing as the army and the military is changing, um, but it's got a long way to go yet. And I think that puts a lot of people off. I get targeted particularly on social media because I'm a woman. Um, my fellow female MP colleague in, in this morning, Anglesey, she gets particularly target, targeted as well. That will put a lot of people off. I mean, I'm thick-skinned and I don't like what I read about me. Um, and I think that puts people off. So I think, and, and I think we're coming from, uh, gladly we're coming from a position of change. We're moving away from quite a male-dominated profession. And there is the old boy network, without a doubt. Uh, you know, I'd argue against anyone that said there wasn't, and there is. And they do tend to um, close ranks sometimes when it's looking at about selection, particularly when it's a hot seat, they will close ranks. And, you know, you don't tend to get a look in as a female. So there's a lot of reasons why we're underrepresented. Um, I'm involved with Women to Win, which is a conservative organisation, which helped me a lot, particularly prepping me through my assessment board. But I'm also involved with the Women's Equality Network, which is a cross-party network based in Cardiff. um, And it's trying to help women from all backgrounds uh, get into public office. And that's not just politics, although primarily it is politics. Um, But it's anything to do um, with charities or governors or researchers and trying to promote women. And I'm very involved with them. I actually was um, a mentee on the first programme they did about three years ago. And it was the Conservative Party that put me in touch with it. And I was the only Conservative in the village. There was only me there. And actually, do you know what? It was great Um, because you actually see beyond politics. You see the person. And that just suits me down to the ground. And and we've got a really close-knit group still going. Um, And then I contribute them. And I was supposed to host them in Parliament during this COVID lockdown. So I obviously haven't done it. So I've had to do it via Skype. But I'm helping quite a few women on that group. Um, crack into what they want to do, not necessarily politics, but trying to promote them in public office. So I'm really keen to promote women because we are underrepresented. Amazing. Amazing to see that you're not just passionate about it vocally, but you actually practice what you preach too. And I know you very kindly offered earlier on when we spoke um, 
earlier on today that any women in particular, um, I need anyone, not just women, not just women, but anyone that wants to reach out for advice, um, you know, fire an email to you after this call. Um, and you're, you know, very happy to talk to them, which is really generous of you. What's been your most inspiring moment so far in, in, uh, Westminster or politics? Mm, I'll try and keep it non-political inspiring moment. I think probably when I said my maiden speech and um, I put a little bit, I'm not a Welsh speaker, but I tried to put a little bit of Welsh in it. Um, But I did it from the heart and I did it on behalf of Wrexham. Um, A lot of people get get people to write them for them. It's just ridiculous. It's got to come from the heart. And when I came back that Wednesday night, back to the constituency, because I always try and get here early, as I said before, uh, the amount of people who said, you know, I'm not conservative, I'm not whatever, but I'm Wrexham. And I know you're Wrexham as well. And that really meant a lot to me that, you know, I'd done something that the people had liked. Amazing. That's that's it, really. That's a great response. There you go, gang. A little bit of homework for you. It's all there on the public record to get go and look up Sarah's um, maiden speech. Um, And also there's some other great ones from our previous speakers, Johnny Mercer's early on, very raw, as is Stuart Anderson's. Um, So do look up those maiden speeches from our veterans community because um, they are certainly inspiring. Thanks to our guests and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe now. Alternatively, you can support our mission by checking out in the show notes below where you can rate, donate or become our mate. Thank you.